Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Hello, and welcome to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. My name is Austin, also known as Teacup. And my name is Shelby, also known as SheCup. Join us as we embark on unraveling all of your favorite mysteries from the Assassin's Creed universe. From Assassins to Templars to the mysterious Isu and more, we will seek to uncover it all. So join us and maybe even take a leap of faith. Hey, Austin. Hey, Shelby. Isn't this a fun switch up? It is a fun switch up. All right. So what are we talking about? Well, we are talking about Assassin's Creed. Which, if you haven't realized yet, which you might not to, I've talked about it, of course, on our other podcast, the Dragon Age Lorecast, but Assassin's Creed is my favorite video game franchise. I've played every game. I have just really enjoyed that going into Assassin's Creed. So we decided, well, let's start an Assassin's Creed Lorecast and kind of do an old switcheroo where normally Shelby takes the role of the expert and the researcher because she has more experience in all of the aspects of the games. Even though I've played Dragon Age, I've played all the games, but she's definitely delved deeper into a lot of things. But it's that way for me with Assassin's Creed, so I'll be taking that more researcher role. And so I thought we could take, like we did, I'm going to talk about just a little bit of how we kind of got into Assassin's Creed um, and kind of things that drew me and you to the series. Um, So I played Assassin's Creed, I started with Assassin's Creed 2, but I originally saw uh, Assassin's Creed 1. We were on a youth group trip, (laughs) and someone had... This is the most... Like, I grew up in a pretty wealthy small town. It's, like, one of the wealthiest towns in all of Tennessee. Small town. Okay, city. It's a suburb of Nashville. And... um, Everyone knows where you're from now. Right. Yes, I know. But there's just... (laughs) Very wealthy community. And so on this youth trip, this kid brought his Xbox with one of those little, like, portable DVD players. And, like, had the cables to hook that up and was playing the first Assassin's Creed game. And I was watching that. I was like, oh, that looks cool. And I'd always been a big fan of kind of, like, stealth-oriented games. Um, I always, 
you know, did that in Elder Scrolls or other games like that. I liked the sneaking around. Um, in KOTOR, I loved the ability in KOTOR 2 where they gave you to, the ability to run during stealth. There were times I would just run through waves of enemies without fighting them. And so that really attracted to me in the series. Like I said, the first game I actually played was Assassin's Creed 2, which to this day is hailed as one of the best of the franchise. Um, and I just really kind of got into it. And the added element of like kind of this historical fiction, historical element to the game with the competing present day story really drew me in. It was like, oh, this is really, really interesting. And there's all this conspiracy going on and it's a really cool mechanic. So Shelby, you are brand new to the Assassin's Creed fandom. I am. Um, and I started playing Origins at Austin's suggestion um, before we decided to do this podcast. But I am freaking obsessed, number one, um, with Origins right now. I'm, I'm mostly done with the game. Would you say that's accurate? You're about halfway. Oh, gosh. Okay. Well, I'm not doing all the, like, little side quests. I'm mostly just, like, powering through the main quests. Doing some yeah, side you're, quests that you're attract me. But Okay, I definitely thought I was further than that. But anyway, so I'm deep into Origins right now, and I love it. It's so good. I can't believe that I waited this long to play this game, um, honestly. But, uh, so I plan to play Odyssey and then Valhalla next, and then start over from the very beginning. So I'll play through the old ones, um, too. And I really love Bayek. He's a really awesome character. Um, and yeah, it's just a fun game. I really appreciate the uh, different style of combat. I'm used to Bioware combat, but um, I might be a little bit heretical um, and say I, I think I might like assassin's creed combat a little bit better than dragon age combat um this this might be that you're ready to go to jedi fallen order i it's gonna be a long time because it's, right. uh, look it's gonna take me a long time to play through all these assassin's creed games and then by the time i get done with that there's gonna be the new Dragon Age game and the new East Shade game. So Fallen and Order has to take Assassin's priority Creed after that. And yes! Oh my God! <laughs> Two Assassin's Creed games. Right. You're not. Um, I doubt you'll play the MMO very much. Though. It's yeah, not really that's fair. Style. That's fair. It's not my style at all. Um. So yeah, that's a little bit about me. I'm really loving Assassin's Creed right now. Well, Shelby, shall we get it started? Let's do it. All right, so I thought a good starting point for us for the lore cast would be what started it all. This mm -hmm. whole ability that kind of built around the Assassin's Creed universe. It's one of the first things we're introduced to in the game series, and that is the Animus. Okay. So, as you know, those of you who have played any Assassin's Creed game, um, we are inter first introduced to the Animus in Assassin's Creed, the first game, just Assassin's Creed, as we are woken up from a simulation and we are there and are explained to us how the Animus works, um, which we'll get into later in the episode, but I thought we could start with where the Animus began. I mean, it is an integral part to the Assassin's Creed story. It's how any of what we experience in the game is made possible. This machine that allows us to relive the memories of our ancestors um, from their perspective and everything. 
So the Animus Shelby goes all the way back to 1930. And I want to give just a kind of quick content warning. The Animus is started by Abstergo during Nazi Germany. And so there's going to be some content here around kind of Nazi and government issued experimentation. And so if that is somewhat of a trigger for you, whether that be for historical trauma or any reason, you might want to skip ahead a little bit through this part because it's just going to be, it'll be a couple minutes, but just wanted to give that warning before we delve in. The Animus begins in 1930 under the direction of the Nazis. The Templars have obviously infiltrated the Nazi party and there's a lot of high-ranking Templars within the government there, but they use the Nazis' atomic project for a kind of cover. Uh, So the Animus is, this project is diverting funds from the Nazis' atomic project and everything about that. But they're locate, they're using it solely on assassins that they've captured to locate what's called Pieces of Eden. And Pieces of Eden will be their own kind of episode. But as we know, these are highly and powerful to- objects that come from a civilization in the past. And so they that, that wield great power from mind control. It's something that the Templars very much want so that they can accomplish their goal. Interesting. Yes. Um, the project is headed by an SS officer named uh, Hero Kramer. Uh, and so Kramer, this officer, recruits the one and only Nikola Tesla, hmm. uh, who they work together to create something that is referred to as, and please, any of you native German speakers, forgive my pronunciation of this, but it's Dieglock, uh, which means the bell. And that was saying because it's overarching bell shape that it would take. Uh, and the science behind this is kind of like the Templars are way ahead of their time science-wise because it uses anti-gravity uh, mechanisms to create a wormhole that allows the user to view into the past. Wow. Okay. In 1930? In 1930. Interesting. So okay. Nikola Tesla wasn't just uh, making the way for cars, you know. But one of its most notable uses was uh, used on an assassin named Eddie Gorm. And it was kind of successful. But it led to a really interesting side effect that led to the project kind of being abandoned for a little bit. When Eddie Gorm goes into the into the Diglock to relive his memories back in the 21st century, his ancestor by the name of Maxine was using an animus to relive the exact moment that Eddie Gorm was living. And so when this happened some weird scientific thing said, and Maxine and Eddie Gorm switched bodies. Their consciousness moved across time and switched bodies. So Maxime ended up in the 30s and Eddie ended up in the The 2000s. Yes. Which just seems traumatizing. How does that even work? So, and all of that can be found in the Assassin's Creed Conspiracy comics. Uh, you can learn all about that in, those, in reading those comics. Um, but that's kind of where Abstergo, or not Abstergo, sorry, the Templars 
kind of start with this kind of animus project. And it's solely based on they want to use assassins to relive their ancestors' memories to um, locate these magical objects called Pieces of Eden. The Apple of Eden, which allows for mind control. Okay, so here are two questions. Are they actually magical or are they more like scientific, pseudo-scientific, like advanced technology? That's the first question. Or, and, and here's my second question. How is this related to the biblical narrative with like the Garden of Eden? Is it related? All of that. So, yes. Um, and that's another episode when we talk about the Isu. Uh, they are called e Pieces of Eden because uh, this is just a brief history in the Isu that we'll talk about later. But Adam and Eve were human-Isu hybrid that Eve steals an apple and leads a rebellion against the Isu. Okay. Um, and then my first question. It's mainly the latter, pseudoscientific advanced technology. But it's really unclear because they do things that are just are beyond scientific ex explanation. Like, I wouldn't really call it science fiction because science fiction is much more, like, grounded in our reality. Like, the Marvel universe where, like, they always have, like, a real-world explanation for what's going on, but there's also things like, you know, Wanda's powers. Like, like it's kind of like that. Mainly, most pieces of Eden are on more of the pseudoscientific advanced technology side. So do they all do different things? Yes, there are several different pieces. Um, the ones we've seen the most of are uh, what's called an apple of Eden, which is just an orb. Uh, there's a sword of Eden, a staff of Eden, a spear of Eden, the shroud of Eden. There's all kinds of different things. Wow. This okay. is, as you can see, they'll be their own episode. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay, I just wanted to make sure I understood what we're talking right. about. Um, and so, Templar's kind of like, uh, even though the Diglock is somewhat unsuccessful, it is successful, but it leads to a very unwanted side effect. Um, I would think at least the Templars, with realizing what happened in 1930, realized that the ant, like the, there's something that allows you to relive your past memories in the future. So they obviously don't abandon the project. In the later half of the 20th century, Abstergo, which is a pharmaceutical company, uh, which is used as a front for Templar activities, they create what's called the Animus Project. And it's based on first civilization, Isutep, which are kind of interchangeable words. Most of the time, first civilization, first civilization is referred to the tech, whereas the Isu are referred to the actual people, um, the beings. So the and, Isu were the first civilization on yes. Earth. And so they're based on something that's called memory seals, which we do encounter in the game. Um, and these are Isu technology that allows an individual to record a memory um, and allow their users to experience those memories. Think like the pensive from Harry Potter. Um, mm, okay, okay. Like where they take the memory out and then if you look into there, you can uh, view the memory. Except instead of viewing the memory from like this kind of third, like, third-party narrator kind of thing. You're living observer. it. You're living it as that person. And so Ezio Auditore de Firenze, who is the 
protagonist assassin for Assassin's Creed 2, Brotherhood, and Revelations. He discovers six seals left to him by Altair Ibn Alahad, which is the main game tag protagonist for the first Assassin's Creed. Um, and those contain the memories of Altair in his last days that Ezio then uses to open a vault. Um, the Isu actually also used these memory seals to communicate across time with Desmond Miles, who is the main protagonist of a lot of the games. Uh, it's his ancestors that we're living through in the first, like, five games. Six games, really. So Desmond's ancestors are, are both Ezio and Altair? Yes. So, for those of you who may or may not know, Desmond Miles, or Subject 17, I call this the Subject 17 um, family tree, starts with Altair, is the first one we experience, and then we go to Ezio, and then Hathen, or for then Edward Kenway, who is a pirate in Assassin's Creed Black Flag, Hathen Kenway, who is Edward's son, and then Connor Kenway, who is Edward's grandson. Okay. Yeah. And these are ancestors from different lines. Um, there's a whole, if you want, if you're really curious, there is a whole, like, Desmond Miles family tree that traces I'm where they all come where they all come back that's on the internet we can look I would that like up. that <laughs> yeah so they use these memory seals to kind of influence though the technology isn't quite the same and we'll get into that later in the episode so the actual use of the animus doesn't happen until 1980 on an unknown oh, wow. male su- yeah on an unknown male subject only referred to as subject 1 there are 17 Animus Project subjects, the 17th one being Desmond Miles. So, 1 through 16 of the Animus subjects, they all die before Desmond. Is that no. correct to say? No. Um, sort of, but no. Um, I know there's a storyline with subject 16. So, yes. what about subjects 1 through 15? Um, we don't have a lot of information about them but we'll get into a couple of them okay in there um and so subject one memories lead to the access of memories of assassin aveline de grappe who is an assassin during uh colonized uh new orleans okay and assassin's creed liberation okay i want to play Did that I- one it might be Grand Prix, but I cannot remember. It's been a hot minute since I've played Liberation. By 1984, uh, the Project Head, who we know as Dr. Warren Vidic, um, who is one of the first characters we meet in Assassin's Creed, he's the one overseeing Desmond, exploring the memories of Altair. Um, he creates a more stable version of the Animus. And this is something that happens with the Animus it has something called the bleeding effect, which the bleeding effect really needs its own episode because it's a whole phenomenon. But basically what it does is basically the past bleeds over into the future. And oftentimes the subject or the user of the animus gets to a point where they cannot differentiate between if this is the past or the future. 
suffering and memory flashbacks. This often leads to um, episodes of psychosis, other things about that. But it can also be used in a positive way for you could have the skills of your ancestors bleed over to you. Um, and this is most notably in the use in Assassin's Creed 2. They use the memories of Ezio Auditore de Firenze and the bleeding effect to basically hyper-train Desmond Miles in the ability of Assassin's Okay. So in a, in a few short months, he inherits the abilities of a master and assassin. So if he was just in the Animus and, like, wasn't experiencing the bleeding effect, say the bleeding effect wasn't a thing at all, would he still be able to, like, get those powers um, of being, like, a good warrior and fighter and all that? No. It is only through the bleeding effect that that is able to happen. Um, so the, the point is the bleeding effect both has posit- can have positive and negative um, impacts. Which, you know, for you, you've seen because, you know, Layla, when she comes out of the animus after a very spicy scene with Bayek and Aya, mm-hmm. she, sees, she sees a figure of Aya leading her to yes. Aya's grave. Um, that's the bleeding effect. And it can result in almost full hallucinations, like animus-level hallucinations when you're not even plugged into an animus. Okay. Um, like I said, the bleeding effect really deserves its own episode to really go into it, uh, fully, but that's one thing that is happening. And so all these subjects are going mad in the animus because they can't separate past and future because of this bleeding effect. And the animus becomes unstable. And so by 1984, he's kind of created his own... Vedic has created his own version of the animus in the sense of that he's made it a little bit more stable, though the bleeding effect still happens. Um, And this is used on subject four. And his name is Daniel Cross. uh, And he is an assassin, but is also a Templar sleeper agent. And And this is a point of like... The Animus is not a reliable narrator. The Animus can be programmed and manipulated, and Vidic manipulates the memories of Daniel Cross through the Animus um, to kind of sort of brainwash him, but in the result, he kind of goes mad with the similar bleeding effect. So what I'm hearing is that everyone who's been in the Animus so far has experienced the bleeding effect. Sort of. There are different animus, animi, and so we'll cover that later down. Um, some animi, some animus is, animi is the correct plural, um, have higher rates of the bleeding effect than others. And it has to do, so there is a, with a lot of the early versions of the animus, there is like a physical connection that happens to you where it like connects to your spine. Or it connects through like a catheter or something like that. And so that, my theory is, is that that kind of leads to more, of the, bleeding, more of the bleeding effect. And then some later versions of the Animus are just a viewing screen where you're su- viewing something pre-recorded. Yeah, that makes sense that if you're like physically connected to it, it would be worse. And I mean, in Origins at least, it literally looks like Layla is rolling out of a tanning bed. 
Yes, it's uh, that is uh, referred to affectionately as the sarcophagus, um, that version of the animus. You could argue that a tanning bed is a form of a sarcophagus. You could argue that. Um, and so you might be asking, okay, the Templars are developing this, this uh, animus project, but if you played the games, you know they're not the only one with animi. And so the assassins have their own animate, animus project. And so, while working in Moscow in 1977, William Miles, who is Desmond Miles' father and current mentor of the Assassin's Brotherhood, um, he stole a copy of early animus blueprint and is chased by Templars in Moscow, where he meets a fellow assassin, uh, Bedya Veronia, is how I'm going to pronounce that. Um, in the city zoo, he gives her the plans and tells her to build the animus before the Templars can. She does successfully construct her own animus, and she begins testing it on her fellow assassins in her assassin cell in Russia. However, for them, most of them unfortunately lose their minds, unaware of the effects of prolonged exposure to the animus, and in an effort to understand more about the machine. Uh, Veronia subjects herself to the animus, but she also goes mad, leading to eventually force every member of her cell into the machine. Only her daughter kept, kept her sanity as the cell quickly became little more than a band of feral killers, looting all, losing all contact with the outside world. Mm. That's sad. And so the animus uses this kind of pseudoscientific principle of that our DNA, not only does our DNA contain a genetic makeup for, like, ourselves that we inherited from both our uh, father and mother, two parental people, but it also contains the genetic memory of our ancestors. And Warren Vidic kind of explains this in, like, how do birds know where to migrate to? Like, new offspring birds know where to migrate to. Instincts. Instincts. And that's what they said. But Warren Vidic argues, and in the world is correct, that they contain genetic memories from their parents that tell them where to go. And so he tests and finds that out in humans that they, too, also contain genetic memory. Uh, so, which, you know, is an interesting concept in and of itself. Um, I mean, I know I, for one, would love to experience the memories of my ancestors, like, going all the way back. Like, so much is unknown about who those people were. I mean, it's a great way to kind of expand the realm of history. Uh, That's really true. But I do think it's a really pseudoscientifical, and I don't know how much actual scientific traction it has. If any. If any, at all. I'm not a scientist. I am a philosopher and religious studies person, so. <laughs> yeah. But I think this would be a good time for a break. Um, so let's take that break, and we'll be back with different versions of the Animus. There we are. Now get out of here. Only wish they were all as much fun. Oh, wait. They are. Okay, welcome to the break. Um, normally in our Dragon Age Lorecast podcast, this is where we 
promote our patrons and thank them and thank all of our listeners and do all of that kind of middle stuff. And we're going to do the same thing for this podcast. Um, but we don't have a Patreon right now. So if you would like to support us in that way, DM us on Discord or Twitter or something like that and let us know. But in the meantime, there are a lot of other ways that you can support us. And as we are a brand new podcast, the number one way to support us is to tell other people about us. If you have friends who love Assassin's Creed, share our podcast with them, especially if you think they might like our podcast. Um, Other great ways to support us include following us on social media, leaving us reviews and ratings on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, as well as um, joining our Discord server or the Robots Radio Discord server. So these are just a few of the different ways that you can support us. And as we do on the Dragon Age Lorecast, if you do leave us a five-star review, we will read it on the show. As this is our first episode, we do not currently have any reviews to read. So stay tuned for that. Right, right, right. Yes, please review. It helps us a lot. Um, You can also join our dragon age server if you want yeah. to come and talk uh we'll have that uh link in the description and you can talk to us about assassin's creed we're in the process of what it looks like to kind of renovate that into a larger thing but for now it is what it is um, but we'll put that link in there we'll also place a link in for the robots radio discord we will have our own channel there where you can chat us up there and get connected to some of our awesome other ro- robots radio network and rocket club podcast yeah there are so many awesome podcasts there too all right you ready well let's get back to it okay it is a good life we lead brother (sighs) the best we should head home Ezio father should be wondering where we've gone yes I'd rather avoid a lecture so Obviously, since, you know, it's developed in the 80s and the current game is in 2020, um, the Animus has been around for a long time. Um, And it's obviously gone through different versions. Uh, Version 1.0 is kind of used as an experiment, but I decided to start with versions to the ones that we encounter, which the first version we encounter is version 1.28, which is the one Desmond Miles uses to explore the memories of Altair. And so this Animus was in uh, Abstergo's Rome facility. It was just a simple table that connected to the user's uh, nervous system and allow- had a glass panel that comes over the face that allowed you to explore the memories and all of that. It was unfortunately prone to the bleeding effect and also prone to overheating after extended use. Um, mm. There's this scene in the first Assassin's Creed where they pull Desmond out and they're overheating and it's like flashing orange and red lights. It's kind of intense. Um, Yikes. So that, um, the next model of the Animus, the one we're probably most familiar with um, and the one we have the most memories about because it's the Animus 2.0 is the Animus used by Desmond to relive the memories of Altair, or of Ezio Auditori de Firenze. This was developed by Rebecca Crane, an assassin, um, who uh, she nicknames this 
baby is what she calls it affectionately because it's her baby. Um, she is able to develop it because another assassin by the name of Lucy Stillman uh, is at Upsterco with on the Animus Project, and she sends her partial blueprints, and that's how Rebecca is able to develop the Animus 2.0. Uh, it kind of adopts back to this chair kind of model, um, which means that it uses a catheter into the arm to connect to the unit. Uh, it is unable to prevent the bleeding effect, but in the case of Assassin's Creed 2, this is actually kind of what they want because they want to train Desmond in the abilities of Ezio. The most important addition, I think, in this Animus is this Animus allowed for a database system which allowed for outside users to put information about historical people, places, events into the animus that the user could then reference while they're interacting in the memory. So it would be like, you know, being at some type of convention and someone saying something and referring to a building or an event and you being able to pause everything around you and go look up and read everything about that event or building. I want that in real life. Um, this animus was also used briefly as a life support system for Desmond Miles after he goes into a coma. Uh, how it's able to do this, I could not find on the internet. So if some hardcore Assassin's Creed fan out here knows how the animus was able to keep Desmond alive in a coma, um, please let me know because none of the people around Desmond are medical doctors. So... How they did that, we'll call it plot armor. All right. So then we developed the Animus 3.0, which is used in Assassin's Creed 3. This Animus is not that much different than the Animus 2.0, except that it became portable. It no longer, it kind of looks like a way to describe it to you is it looks like one of those on the ground beach chairs, the ones that like sit like right on the ground. So, like, you could set it on any flat surface and make that into, like, where you needed it to be. So it made it easy to carry around. Then Upsterco decided that their table animus was dumb and they didn't need to use it anymore. Um, and they developed something called the Animus Console, which is used in various forms for a lot, for the most of the Assassin's Creed games up until Origins. Uh. And so they create something that's called the Data Dump Scanner, which I'll get into later, um, referred to as the DDS. But this was allowing someone to view DNA memory as long as it was in storage. So they still had to have the DNA of the ancestor. But who... they no longer had to be a direct descendant of that person. Correct. Okay. Um, this is... This is most notable in what's called the Animus Omega, which is another console Animus. And this started with the Sample 17 project, which this number 17 is very, very important. Sturgo basically confiscates Desmond Miles' body and uses his DNA to extract the rest of his memories. That seems not okay. Well, Sturgo does a lot of things that are not okay. Um, they're in their whole other episode. Uh, and, like, that's part of, like, a guiding principle of the Templars, which we'll get in, is which, like, the ends justify the means for the Templars. Um, and so, 
Abstergo starts this whole uh, big Sample 17 project through their branch that's called Abstergo Entertainment, which is basically a gaming industry, a gaming company. Um, and so their team delves through genetic memory for them to develop their great next pirate game. And so obviously this is the setting of Assassin's Creed Black Flag. Do you think Ubisoft is um, doing this in, in real life? Look, I don't put anything past a corporation. <laughs> uh, but I do think that Ubisoft has its own problems about abducting people and using their genetic memory to develop their video games <laughs> is not one of them. That's fair. Let's keep going. All right. Because otherwise their video games would just be a little bit better than they are. That's, that's, <laughs> that's probably fact. true. Um, so that's how that works. Um, the Animus Omega is then launched and distributed to homes. Where they want, where Abstergo is basically using this to kind of paint the Templars in this great light. They want the society to kind of have this uh, positive view, view of them, the temp of the Templars, kind of preparing for their whole new world order thing that they're trying to do. But the one flaw of this, the Animus Omega, one, it does not cause the bleeding effect because you're just viewing stored memory. You're not plugged in to kind of experience it. Two, its downside is it's hackable. <laughs> Isn't everything hackable, though? Kinda. I mean, the other Animus is Animi, whatever, are not, I would say no. Like, you have to be plugged in biologically to them. They're not hooked up to a server. Okay. Um, and, like, you see this in the games. Like, when they set up the Animus, like, you know, Sean Hastings, who's the historian of the Desmond Miles team, he's, like, set up with a computer with all the history things, and there's wires everywhere, and it's, like, all, like, hardwired into each other. Mm -hmm. And, like, the assassins are on the run from the Templar, so they don't want to be using Wi-Fi. Right. Because they don't want to be tracked. But right. the Animus Omega is hackable as long as you have the software to do so. And so when the... They have the software to do that. They do. Um, they have the technology. So the assassins then hack the Animus Omega to kind of basically say, hey, Upstergo's brainwashing you. To kind of subvert their efforts and use it as a recruiting tool to recruit new people to the assassins. After this, after the Animus Omega, Abstergo starts using VR technology. Um, and so they develop these kind of goggles. It's running the same software as the Animus Omega in their first attempts. It's just VR goggles. So it's a little more portable and other things like that. In 2016, another branch of Abstergo in Madrid develops what's called the Animus 4.3. Uh, this is a huge piece of machinery and can be seen in the very, very uh, controversial Assassin's Creed movie, which, in my opinion, is too long and I have never finished it. Um, but basically what this does is it has this giant arm that comes in down in this big dome kind of thing and it attaches to your spine and there's a bunch of medical terms that I don't know what they mean, so I'm not going to attempt to tell you what they are. Uh, yeah. 
And so it attaches to your spine and it allows you to move while you're in the animus. So you can run and jump and fight with weapons while you're experiencing all of this kind of stuff with the animus. And that's used in the movie by Calum Lynch. Uh, it's headed by doc- Dr. Sophia Ricken, who is a later character in the game with that. Now, to get to the animus that we're using currently in the games. This is the animus HR8. This is developed by Rickon and a and a Abstergo employee named Layla Hassan. From Origins. Yes. It was very compact. It could be compacted into a suitcase. Um, it had an epidural connection. Or no, it did not have an epidural connection. It had a different one that is a hematological link, which I, someone medically explained that to me. Um, Wasn't that mean like a blood link? I think you are correct, because like, isn't like a hemonoma something like a clot of the blood? Um, that I do not know. No, it is. So it, it relates information solely to a user user's brain. So I think it's some kind of like brain link. Well, hematology blood. is this like branch of medicine that deals with blood. So yeah. All right. So we'll go. It does use the blood because it uses the red red blood cells cells to translate data to every organ. Um, this allows the user to only need the DNA of the person that they want to live the memories for. So like with so Layla... again, you don't have to be the descendant. Right. Layla is able to take DNA directly from Aya's grave and Bayek's grave to relive their memories. Um, this is known can create... The downside to this is the Animus needs time to process the DNA. So we see that with Layla in Origins when she goes in and tries to relive the memories of Aya right away. She can't because... The Animus hasn't processed it yet. This person called the Isu Messenger notes that Layla's Animus is closest to being able to change the past than other versions of the Animus, which has had interesting implications, but Layla dismisses it, uh, saying that history is set and that most the Animus could do would be to explore simulations of what might have been there might have been uh thereby altering the historical experience for future users so you could kind of manipulate so you could play out the animus could play out scenarios of like if something changed with that like Mm -hmm. say you know abraham lincoln lost his election or um, survived his assassination or assassination like the animus could play that simulation for you interesting but it does kind of, if it could predict those simulations, and with the notion that, you know, in the Diglock, they switched consciousnesses, you, yeah. could, you could, in theory, using the science of the world, influence the past. It's not, My it's not inconceivable. Is, I hope they don't go that direction. The games, yeah, but. that's, yeah. Okay, I have a question. So how is the Animus able to predict something that didn't happen it runs it on simulations and this is something i don't really want to get into because i don't want to spoil assassin's creed valhalla okay fine that's fine Uh, (laughs) 
that is explained. Some of that is there's a little more information in the game Assassin's Creed Valhalla, but since that game is relatively new, I really want to avoid spoilers for it. Briefly, they developed the HR 8.5, which is basically the same thing, but it has the VR goggles paired with it. This is what Layla uses in Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Um, but Spoiler. it makes. Yeah. The compact and portability of the Animus really creates it being used, especially the HR 8, because it can be taken to archaeological sites to further the development of history and that. And so, just before we leave, we're going to go in quickly into how the Animus works. Um, so, as stated before, the Animus uses genetic memory embedded in our DNA to allow us to relive the memories of their ancestors, of our ancestors. And so that's the basic principle of the Animus. And so at base core, someone could go into any Animus and relive the abilities of, or the memories of their ancestors. But later Animi use the Data Dump Scrutter, or the DDS. Um, it's developed in 2009, um, and it's software that allows a user to relive extracted memories. So basically they can go through and take either a corpse or a live person and extract the memories from them and someone else can go relive them. This is how we relive the memories of everything from Assassin's Creed Black Liberation to Assassin's Creed Syndicate. Um, and so that's a really important thing it's soon to note, I don't think that Layla's version of the Animus kind of uses a modified DDS system. Whereas it's not, ex it extracts the memories, which is why it needs time to process the, D and D the DNA. And so, another thing that the Animus uses that kind of helps with stability is you can't just jump into a memory of an ancestor. You have to achieve what's called synchronization which is basically living the life as the ancestor lived that life. Um, if you deviate from that, it can result in desynchronization, which can cause a full shutdown of the Animus program, um, forcing you to restart from a different point of synchronization. Which just means uh, you die in the game. Right. Sort of, <laughs> yeah. Or in some cases, like, so there are certain, like, in some of the earlier games, there are certain memories where your ancestor went in undetected. So if you are detected by a guard in that, it causes desynchronization. And you get all this flashing red, and then you have to go back to an earlier sync point. Um, this mechanic also prevents the user from exploring places that the ancestor didn't go. So, like, in theory, the Animus has the ability to rebuild the world. Um, That's frightening. But you can't go. Like, I couldn't take Ezio and send him to the American continents because he never, because he didn't go there. Um, that would result in desynchronization. And this can also res can happen in even areas that if you're reliving a specific memory that your ancestor didn't go to in that memory. So, like, for instance, like, if you're reliving your ancestor and they get up in the morning and they didn't go to the bathroom, that could cause desynchronization if you decide, oh, let's go explore the bathroom. 
Okay, but this is where it kind of starts to fall apart for me because how do you know exactly what your ancestor did? Isn't Couldn't you just be walking into every potential situation that day causing desynchronization? And so, yes, and that is why the Animus comes with a heads-up display, um, specifically in later versions. Because they are extracted memories, they can know where to go, and so it allows them to have, like, points and objectives. It's kind of like the Animus is a real life, like you're playing a video game. Yeah, and also my other question with the Animus logistically is, like, how does it know every single memory of that person it's it's because they have the they're connected to its dna um and so like that's why layla needs to find the dna of people to create the memories for that it's why they need desmond's body to get the other dna it's why you can only relive memories in the earlier ancestors or early animuses that animi is the proper plural uh that you are Related to because those are the ones that are embedded in your DNA, and according to Warden Biddick, we contain the entire memories of our ancestors in our DNA. That just seems unlikely to me. Like I would understand. I guess I would be able and more ready to believe it if it was like we have parts of our ancestors' memories, but all of our ancestors, like so, every single person we're descended from, we have copies of their dna and all of their memories and not just like some of their memories all of our ancestors we have all of their memory embedded into our dna at some point wouldn't the dna then become overloaded it depends um one thing that's to note is that people who are of mixed isu and uh human dna and so Isu have what's called a triple helix DNA sequence. Um, they are better prone to the animus than humans who do not. Because they have more DNA space. Right. Um, I also think that the animus, uh, the animus can only do so much. Um, it is also you know, not a reliable narrator. So you're not viewing objective history. You're viewing right. history through the eyes of this ancestor, which can be manipulated. Uh, yeah that's fair and so that's another thing about it but you know i would really argue that there isn't an objective history like yes there are things that happened but history is made up of events that are experienced by individual people and every individual person has their own unique context and relationship to what happened so Yeah, I think that the Animus, it is an interesting piece of science. I don't know how. It's kind of like what I call, what we like to say is like, it's adjacently true. Like it contains Mm -hmm. like tidbits of the truth, but like we could contain genetic memories from our ancestors. But if you go back, like we would have like, Every human being has two sets of inherited DNA from their father and mother's line who also have two sets, who have two sets, who have two sets, who have two sets. So by the end, you've got 
we've got mil- millions, millions of DNA and billions right now. upon people right. who are better. And like DNA is microscopic, and so it's possible, but seems unlikely. Um, do you have any other thoughts about the animus? Um, my thoughts about the animus are that it's kind of scary. And I'm glad that it doesn't exist in our real world <laughs> because I just think that it it is while it's cool and while it would be really meaningful to be able to connect with our ancestors in that way. I'm, I'm glad it doesn't exist in our world because I just think it would be exploited too easily. Um, mm-hmm. And it's exploited in the Assassin's yeah, Creed universe. Yeah, yeah. So. I'm also struggling with the logistics a little bit of the mm-hmm. sheer amount of, of like DNA and genetic memories that you would need to have. Um, but right. I do think, I do think that this idea is a really unique one in storytelling and video games. Um, and it's really intriguing. Yes. Another thing that the animus does is the animus, um, translates so desmond has a conversation with lucy stillman actually is who it happens with and he asks like why is everyone speaking english in uh middle eastern like crusades time they should be speaking some form of arabic or whatever uh and like old english but they are speaking like what he understands Yes, and that's because the animus translates as best as co- possible. And so there are some places where it leaves words untranslated because there oh, is no yeah, yeah. there is no in- equivalent. So that's why when you go to Egypt, they're not speaking Greek or, uh, you know, Egyptian in those areas because the animus is translating it to English for the user. You know what? It you know it kind of reminds me a little bit of the Omni tool from Mass Effect. Yes, very similar kind of idea. And I would assume that the Omni tool kind of like that works for, you know, the variety of human languages, too. Um, so, yeah. So that's the Animus. And that's our first episode. Yeah. So, as always, thank you for listening. Um, follow us on Twitter at Assassin's Creed Lorecast. Um, so, yeah. Awesome. Thanks, y'all. Thanks for listening to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. You can find us on Twitter at Assassin's Creed Lorecast, or you could talk to us on Discord in the Robots Radio Discord or our personal Discord server. Both links found in this episode's descriptions. Thank you for listening, and always stay to the shadows to serve the light, Assassins. Are you a fan of Elden Ring? Are you confused about the lore as pretty much everyone else? We've got you covered. Check out the Elden Archives, a lore podcast that helps to explain every little confusing detail about the lands between. Things like what exactly happened on the Night of the Black Knives, or what we really know about characters like Nicola. Just like the show you're listening to now, we're on the Robots Radio Network, so you know it'll be good. Wondering how to find the show? Easy. Either go to robotsradio.net or search Elden Archives on whatever podcatcher you're using right now. Bookmark the show for later and we'll see you in the lands between. Again, that's the Elden Archives, from Soft Lorecast, available everywhere.